Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? I am uh, filling in for Pastor Ray, as you can see. You can go ahead and have a seat for a minute. Um, Pastor Ray's been at General Assembly with a lot of our staff pastors, and uh, I think he took a few extra days to get some much-needed rest. I think that's good. Gladys, I don't know about you, sometimes I kind of wear on pasture a little bit, so it's kind of good for him to get that little extra break. And um, So he asked me to speak, and I always count it an honor any time that I can uh, fill in and be able to share the Word of God. I count it uh, a privilege to be able to stand in this place and be able to proclaim His Word. We've been talking about what we exist to be as a local body. The church, I shared this in the early service, you can look at church in itself, and uh, churches across the world, they stand for what Jesus did or what Jesus didn't do, their opinion of his life or the record of his life. And so we need to be careful because just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're in the right place. So it's, it's finding what does that church stand for. So most of us are church of God, we understand what our fundamental beliefs are. And, uh, but here we're going we're gonna to dive in a little bit of what does this local body, what is our assignment here in Middletown, Ohio? What do we exist to accomplish here in our community? Now, you know, Pastor shared the, the first week, we exist to embrace God. And it's important that we understand that it's fundamental that when we come to God's house, that we come intentional to embrace Him to connect with Him. It's foundational in the, in the life of a believer. And it's something that doesn't only happen here. When we say that we exist to do these things, it's not only inside this building, but it's outside this building. When we dismiss church, it's not that we're dismissing and we're going to come back and assemble. No, it's the church is leaving the building. Because we exist to accomplish these things, and we exist to embrace God. It's important, and it's fundamental. We need to understand the day we live in. The Bible gives a commandment to our day, what it looks like for us to come together and to embrace God. We realize that connecting with one another, the importance of that. He shared that last week. He shared the, the beautiful story of how the church was, was birthed at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, something happened in that moment where Jesus looks at Mary he looks at John and he says, Mary, behold your son. He looks at John and says, son, behold your mother. He made a spiritual connection that represented the physical connection of a family. And I believe it was the birth of the church in that moment. And it happened right there. And the book of Acts, we begin to read what we, I believe, is the empowerment of the church for service and to go and to fulfill the functions of what the church is here to do. The day we live in, we've been given a commandment of what it means to embrace God and what it means to connect with other, other believers. In Hebrews 10 and 25, this is what the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner is for some, but exhorting one another even more so as you see the day approach. The closer we get to the coming of the Lord Jesus, the more important it is for us to not only embrace God, but for us to connect with one another there 
it's important that we do those things. And that's what we're here and we are existing to do in this community and we're existing to do as a body of believers. Now with that as a backdrop, if we would stand to our feet, I want to read a scripture and then we'll let you get seated again. This week we're going to look at pursuing growth as our, as our third goal that we exist to accomplish. It's the same scripture we've been looking at the last couple weeks, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. And this is what the scripture said. Jesus said unto them, or unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, and all of thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is on these two commandments, all the law, hangs all the law and the prophets. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I, I pray the power over your word right now. I pray, Lord, that this be the place that I decrease and that you increase. God, I pray that this be the place that you anoint my words and they become your words. God, I pray for every heart, every mind, every believer in this place. God, I pray that you would move among us. God, quicken our hearts. Let us see with the perception that you desire for us to see. God, grow us in you. Help us to get this passion to pursue growth as we walk with you. And we pray that in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Moments before Jesus spoke this scripture, as you would wonder, okay, we see in that scripture embracing God, and we see last week that scripture connecting with one another. How is this scripture going to help us pursue growth? And and what I find in that is that when this was being challenged, when Jesus was dealing with this challenge, they were coming at him and questioning him on what was the most important commandment. Which one stood above the others? When you look back in Deuteronomy, you'll see a similarity of these same words before the Ten Commandments are broken down. And I believe that Jesus was just trying to point the facts out, that if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind, that you'll be able to accomplish everything that the law and, and the prophets have been trying to get you to accomplish to this point. And then in the process, you'll be able to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the problem we have is I believe that we struggle with love. We struggle with love. By and large, we struggle with love. Jack, if I was to ask you for a $20 bill, if you didn't have it, you couldn't give it to me. But if I was to give you a $20 bill, and then I was to ask you for it, you have the ability now to give it to me. And what I think happens is that we struggle with accepting the love of God in our own life. See, the Bible says that God is love. He's 100% love. So when he looks at one of us, he'll, he'll look at us and he'll love you with all the capacity he has to love you. And then he'll turn and he'll look at another one, Alberto, and he'll love you with all the capacity he has to love you. See, we treat love like a bank account. We only have a certain amount and we're limited, and so we have to divvy it out to those that are most important to us. Somewhere in there, God gets his portion, and our wife or spouse gets their portion, and we've got kids and grandkids, and now we've got coworkers and all these other people, Trent, that are pulling from us, and we've got to be God extended to them, but we're struggling because we ain't got a $20 bill to hand out. And so what happens is I think we struggle with this because we struggle with the love of God. But here's what happens. When we fully accept God's love into our life and into our heart, now we have the capacity to love like God. And I believe that that's foundational. I believe that that is a struggle that some of us uh, deal with in our Christian walk, and it prevents the growth from happening in our life. As we look at that, I want us to look and break each one of these down. Sandwiched in this scripture 
I believe, is the answer for pursuing growth. I believe that this scripture, if he's saying that he's going to take the entire law and everything the prophets taught to this moment and hang it in these two scriptures, and I believe the growth commandment and the growth challenge is within this scripture. And what we'll see as we break this thing down is that there are three ways that we need to be loving God, and each one of those have the ability to help us with our growth and our walk with Christ. First of all, we have loving the Lord our God with all of our heart. That word heart, when you look at it, it means it's, the root word is cardia. And it means to have the capacity to love with our thoughts and our feelings. And that's important because when we come to God, we, we lack that sensitivity that, that we get once we accept Christ into our heart. This is what Proverbs 23 and 26 says. It says, my son, give me thine heart. And let your eyes observe my way. See, our eyes will go with our heart. They follow our heart. Luke 6 and 45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings that forth which is evil. And it says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. See, I can tell what's inside your heart by what comes out of your mouth. And that's a struggle sometimes because when we get saved, when we go through the process, there's a, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, there's a process we have to go through that renews that in our life. In Ezekiel 11, chapter 11, it talks about God taking that stony heart that is within us and giving us a heart of flesh that gives us that capacity to feel the way God would desire for us to feel. Ephesians 2 and 1 says this. It says this about the Christian. It says, and you hath he quickened means brought alive, who were dead in the trespasses and sins. This is the way it looks. If I was to bring a dead corpse and lay it up here in front of all of us today, and I was to lay a 400-pound weight upon that dead corpse, that corpse could not feel the weight that I placed upon it because it's dead. And that's a lot like us. We're walking our life, we're living it the way we desire and the way we see fit, and it's the way it is when we come to Christ. And as we are walking our life and doing our own thing, Nick, it happens that conviction enters into our heart, and all of a sudden in that quickening of a moment, we have a decision to make. And those of us that have given our heart to Christ, what happens in that moment is we come alive in him, our soul that was dead in the trespasses of its sin comes alive in him, and now we're able to feel the capacity and the weight of what was upon us. This is the way Romans 10 and 9 says. It says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart, same word, cardia, thou shalt be saved. It says, with the heart, same word, cardia, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the, the beginning process of loving God starts with the heart. And we give God our heart, and in the process, he washes it clean. Can you remember the day you got saved? Can you remember the day how green the grass was, how blue the sky was, how everything began to just transform and change as you begin to walk out of that situation, leaving the sin behind and walking in this new life that Christ gave us? It's awesome. It's a beautiful thing. Loving God with all of our soul. That word soul means suke. When you see it first show up in the Bible, it's in the book of Genesis when God created Adam. It said he formed him of the dust of the earth and he breathed life into Adam and he became a living suke, a living soul. 
So in that moment, now we have a living being. It means, when you look at the root word, what that means, it means the breath of God. So now he has created a being that has the breath of God in him with the capacity now to to exalt God with the breath. It's important for us to love God with all of our soul. It means that he has the capacity to consume us to the point where he has what comes out of us. We have the ability with the breath of God in us to give worship and to give praise and to give honor and to shed light upon him and his ways. Now I wanted to come up here, Vic, and I wanted to come up with a really cool way to display this for everyone. And I thought about Peter, because Peter's one of my heroes, Jonah. I love Peter in the Bible. I love the way Peter's life lived out. Peter was out here fishing, hard worker. I can identify with that. He drops his net and he follows Christ. Then he gets to a point where he's out in the middle of the, of the water and he's struggling. They call Jesus a ghost because he comes in the fourth watch and it's a scary time of the night. There, he says, change the atmosphere. He says, you know, be of good cheer. It is I. So then they're like, okay, Peter's like, if it's you, let me walk to you on the water. He ends up walking on the water. I love that story, man. It's so cool. Peter's cool. Peter's the one that he's sitting around the table, and Jesus is talking about one of them that's going to betray him. He's like, man, I'm willing to die for you, man. You just say it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take somebody out. Where is he? Where are they? I love Peter, man. He's cool. And in that moment, right, Jesus looks at him and says, you're going to deny me three times, but you never knew me. Man, could you imagine getting those words? Same Peter, right? They're going around. Jesus takes up the towel. He begins to wash the disciples' feet. In that process of time, in that moment, he's like, uh-uh, it ain't going to happen. He says, if you don't let me do this, you're not going to have any part of me. He says, in that case, he says, wash my head, my hands, and my feet. You know, Peter's one that when he got it, he got it, you know. He goes out, and in the garden, right, the, the soldier comes up. He slices the ear off. He's taking charge. This is not going to happen on his watch. Jesus picks up the ear, and he just heals that soldier. It sends us all a message that if we're going to represent Christ and try to defend his name, we can't cause hurt and we can't cause pain in another individual's life because that's not the way Jesus ever intended us to live this thing out. And he heals the soldier. Peter had a lesson. He was pursuing growth in his life. He goes on. We know the story. He ends up denying Christ. He goes back to fishing, picks up the net, goes back to his old life. Jesus is on the shore, and there as he's on the shore, he's stewing up a couple fish. Peter sees him in the distance, he runs, he gets these three questions. Interesting, there's three things here, loving the Lord with your heart, your soul, and your mind. He asks Peter three times, do you love me? Three times Peter answers that. The next thing that we really see significant come out of Peter's life, it's in the book of Acts. He stands up, he proclaims Jesus to a large crowd, and 3,000 souls come to Christ. It's cool. It's cool. I love Peter. How could you not? How about Paul? I mean, Saul of Tarsus? I mean, this guy is like, persecuting Christians. He's like the guy you're going to try to run when you see him coming. He gets blinded on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden he's transformed, and he goes and pursues growth. You almost miss it. Me and Pastor Cam talked about this when we were in Oklahoma. But there's three years he's out here being discipled, learning God's voice and learning what it looks like to walk the way God wants him to walk. And after three years of alone time with God, he comes back as an apostle. They're still leery of him. And he begins to walk it out to the point where he's imprisoned, he's beaten. He's went through all these things, turns their world upside down for Christ. Paul was cool. So I was praying. I wanted a new example for us to wrap our mind around. And at 4.30 in the morning Wednesday, I wake up, and the Lord whispers a name in my ear, and it was Luke. So I got up, and I began to study out Luke. 
Luke was a physician. Luke wrote one of the four Gospels, yet he wasn't one of the initial 12 disciples. Luke, when you look at Colossians 4 and 14, and the way Paul describes everybody in his circle is listed with the Gentiles. Luke is one, when you see the records of the, the healings that Jesus performed, Luke records 16 of them. The other Gospels record anywhere from 4 to 12. So here we have a physician who is intrigued with the fact that Jesus Christ has the power to heal. And it caused and it spurred personal growth in Luke's life. Luke didn't just hear those stories and go his own way. No, he pursued with everything in him to try to find out who this Jesus was. And man, what he found out was this Jesus has the power to save, to heal, to deliver, to bring about heaven on earth. That's who Jesus was. Then when you look, he wrote the book named after him, and he also wrote the book of Acts. When you go pound for pound and word for word and scripture for scripture, he wrote 27.5% of the New Testament. That's what Luke wrote. Yet he never speaks of himself, and he's only mentioned three times in the Bible. One of those times is in Peter's last, or not Peter, but Paul's last moment, where he talks about Demas forsaking him and different ones that aren't there, and he speaks of Luke being with him. And I thought about Luke. We don't hear a lot about him. You know, we know he's one of the four Gospels, but you don't hear, and the more I research, Clayton, not a lot of people preach about Luke. But I think we can identify with Luke, because Luke was one that did this. He lifted up Jesus, and he lifted up his fellow brother that was trying to stand for the right cause. In fact, when I think about Peter, his life, standing up on the day of Pentecost, when I think about the Damascus Road experience, when I think about all the things that we read that Paul was able to accomplish, if it wasn't for Luke, I'm not real sure we would have had that. Because Luke was the one that God inspired to do the writing of what happened in the book of Acts. I think Luke is my hero. He was cool. Luke was the only one to record the story of Zacchaeus, the guy that climbed a tree and was curious about Jesus in the distance. Luke was the only one that, that described the, the woman with the alabaster box as being an immoral person. I think Luke was a man of detail, and he knew what it was to get to the root of how people thought. I think Luke <clears throat> speaks of a lot of us in this room because I think a lot of us can identify with what it means to just be the person, to pursue growth in Christ, to follow after him, to look for a way to connect with him, to look for a way to grow in him, to look for a way to acknowledge him, to look for a way to lift him up and in the process lift up the others around us and encourage them and bring strength to the body. Luke was essential to the body of Christ in pursuing growth. The last one is loving the Lord our God with all of our mind. The first two, when we love the Lord our God with our heart and our soul, there's a transformation that I begin, believe happens. We talked about being dead in the trespasses of our sin and becoming alive in Christ, that at that moment, now those things that we used to be able to do that was easy, no big deal, didn't feel the weight of it, no big issues, now all of a sudden we can't do any of it because we've got this thing called conviction that is like pricking our heart if we even think the wrong way, right? That's conviction. But we need to be careful because conviction, if ignored, brings about a calloused heart, and you end up being back towards the direction you started with the hard heart, only it's got this callous on it. I've heard that a callous is a, like the overexposure to something without the proper response. 
So for us, if you look at it, it's like if you get calluses on your hands, just put a pair of gloves on and you won't have the calluses, right? So you have an overexposure to something without the proper response, putting gloves on, so you wind up with a callus. So your heart is the same way. If you get overexposed to truth, we come in here week in and week out, and Pastor Ray is pouring out his heart to us as he begins to, to share the word of God. If we don't respond in the right way, we wind up with a calloused heart, that heart that can't feel the things that God desires for us to feel. So we've got the heart and we've got the soul. Here's what happens with the mind. The mind, this is what I wrote down. Your mind is a filter that determines what gets into your heart and ultimately comes out of your life. Your mind, when you come to Christ, is not saved. I know that's shocking for some of us because we just assume that when we're saved, we're completely saved. But here's, the, here's what we understand, and the Bible has a lot to say about the mind, and we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. The mind in itself requires renovation. It requires a process. This is what it says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It goes on to say, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, how do we do that? What's that look like, a living sacrifice? In the Old Testament days, there was no life, there was no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. We see it all the way in the back of, at the very beginning, when Adam and Eve, they go and they begin to cover themselves with the fruit of the ground. God kills and slains an animal, covers them with the skin of the animals. There was a shedding of blood at the very beginning, and it's all the way through the Old Testament. So there's something had to be sacrificed so something could live. In order for us, Romans 5 and 8, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, like we talked about being dead in the trespasses of our sin, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, given his life on a cross, died so we could live. Now he asked us, when this is written, when this scripture is written, this is written to the believers. We need to grab this today. Because when it's challenging us to become a living sacrifice, we have to understand, and I heard this said at Winterfest a few years ago, where it says those words reasonable service, it's like bare minimum wage Christianity. Think about that. It's like the least we can do. See, the Christian's the one, right, Romans 10 and 9, that has accepted Christ and understands the price that he paid for us. And understanding that price and, and understanding the process and understanding all that he did for us the least we can do is offer our lives and our bodies as a living sacrifice. What's that look like? Well, that happens through the transformation of the mind. It happens through the process of allowing God access to our thoughts and our mind. This is what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting around verse 3 says. It says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Some of us in this place need to understand today that our battle is not with a person. Our battle is not with someone that has a name or someone that's walking around on this planet or someone that you work with. That is not who your battle is with. This is though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. Now, not through your co-workers, not through some self-help tape, not some through your own thoughts. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It says, casting down imaginations and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Our thought process is something that we need to get a hold of in this place today, I believe. The way you see yourself, 
Some of us have low self-esteem. Some of you, God has called you to something bigger than you see yourself being able to accomplish. God-sized dreams always are. When God begins to birth something in you, it's something that you cannot achieve without him. Understand that. When God desires to take you and use you in the capacity and the way that he desires, chances are you're not going to be equipped with it day one. It's a process of getting to the place where God can use you. Transformation, the renewing of our mind. We need to realize that it is a process. We need to realize that what comes into our mind about ourselves, about other people, we need to weigh in where those thoughts are coming from. The best way we can get to a point of understanding the thoughts in our mind is through God's word. Hebrews 4 and 12 says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It says piercing even through the dividing asunder of our soul and our spirit, our joints and our marrow. It's a discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our heart. God's word, you may not know why you think the things you think. You may not know why you say the things you say. But you get God's word inside of you, and it will begin to decipher and show you and convict you and show you why you're living out and why you're thinking the way that you're thinking. For us to pursue growth, for us to pursue this third item that we exist to, to be as a church, we have to come to terms with not only embracing God, not only connecting with one another, but who God desires us to be and embracing his thought life, embracing what he says about us, embracing his plan for us, embracing the path that he has for us. See, everything in this world, everything in this culture is all about things being automatic. With the exception, I talked about this in the first service, pumping gas. Every one of us, when we leave here today, is going to have to pump our own gas if we need gas. I mean, that's one thing that they've taken from us that they used to give us years ago. You could pull up and you had an option. If you wanted to pay 25 cents a gallon, somebody would pump your gas. We don't really have that option anymore. But outside of that, Sean, just about everything else we've got, we can get. I mean, if you want to go through a drive-thru and get a milkshake, drive-thru and get a cheeseburger, drive-thru and it doesn't matter. They've got drive through pizza. However, Little Caesars has got your pizza on the shelf right now. So by the time you get there, I'm not real sure how good that's going to be. But, but anything you need and anything you desire, we're an automatic culture. The iPhone, the iPad, everything's about us. Everything's about convenience. Everything's about what we want. If, and you go into any place, if you want to buy something, you can take it home today. You can buy a car, sign a piece of paper, and you can drive it home. They'll just send you beeping and waving. How in the world does that happen? It's an automatic culture that we live in. Okay, but here's what we have to understand. When it comes to having a renewed mind in Christ, it requires the process. And you can't circumvent the process. It just doesn't work that way. And here's the thing we have to understand, that we have to apply ourselves to it. That's where that living sacrifice in the first verse of this comes alive. It happens because we subject ourselves to the word of God. We subject ourselves to it, we look into it, and we realize, do we line up with it or do we not line up with it? And if we don't line up with it, then we have to make some changes so we do line up with it. In Psalm 1, it says, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That means that's a person that thinks and, and is conscious of who he listens to nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But it says his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Said he'd be like a tree 
like a tree planted by the rivers of water that will bring forth his fruit in his season. It says his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does, it shall prosper or bring growth. How's that happen? Not listening to the co-workers, not listening to all the self-help stuff, not listening to well-intentioned people that try to help you, but looking into the law of the Lord, looking into God's word, looking at what he says about us, looking about what he says about our culture, looking about what he says about himself and who he is, and being able to apply that to us. And that requires us to put ourselves up on the chopping block and allow the potter to do his work. And when he does, I'm telling you, there's a freedom that comes over you. There's a freedom that comes into your life. That's right. Amen. There's a freedom that comes into your walk with Christ. And this pursuing growth comes alive as we subject ourselves to that. It's important. Pursuing growth requires us to look to God for the answer and look into his word. I'm getting ready to close if we could come to the music. It's a process. It's not automatic. I want to encourage somebody with that because here's what happens. This is the best way I can describe it to you. If you had a bad habit and, and what represented that habit was in your vehicle and it was in your home and in our culture it's on maybe your phone or it's in your emails or it's in text messages or whatever it is that reminds you of this past life that you're walking around dead in the trespasses of your sin and and all of a sudden you come into a place like this and God convicts your heart. We had two that gave their heart to Christ in the first service. So now God convicts your heart and you realize that there's things that aren't right and, and you want to be saved. And you ask Jesus into your heart. And in that moment, everything looks completely different than it did before. The moment you walk out that door, Whatever you brought with you into this place in your car is still in your car. Whatever you have in your refrigerator or at your house is still in your house. Whatever was on your phone is still on your phone. Whatever reminds you of that past life is already there. Like I said, the mind is never saved. There's a transformation process of the way we think and the way we cultivate and the way we reason things out that we have to go through the process doesn't mean that God didn't save you. And this is where we get confused, I think, as a church, because we give our heart to Christ, and he forgives us. He washes us clean. And in that moment, man, you are saved. You are headed to heaven. And he started the process in you. Man, you go back, and you see those old things. And maybe a year goes by, and you're doing really good for a year in that honeymoon state. And all of a sudden, something rears its ugly head. feel it. I want to encourage somebody today, you feel it because you're alive in Christ. Before you came to him, you didn't feel it. You, you were dead in the trespasses of your sin, but once you accepted Christ, you were able to feel that. Now that doesn't mean it gives you a blank check like Paul said to go out and do anything you want. No, what that means is you feel it and you know what to do with it when you feel it, just like you did when you accepted Christ before you could feel it, Right? We confess, 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The problem is we want to be like a computer that has a virus on a hard drive and we just want it wiped clean and we want it all just brand new with the entire King James Version installed and all Cindy Abney's notes and I'm ready to go. I'm good, right? It's not the way it works. 
probably going to apply yourself to going to Sunday school class with Cindy. Probably going to get with Melissa Grawl, who does our small groups. And if you really want to pursue growth, probably going to have to subject yourself to what that looks like. I struggled. I was going here in my 20s. God put me in an office with a Church of God pastor at the age of 24 years old. I did not want to go. I worked at City of Dayton. I did not want this job. I didn't want it. Went in. He said, "Bless God, you go to Stratford Heights. I've been praying for you. I'm excited. I'm like, uh, you've been praying for me. I'm out. I'm 24. I'm gone. God had a work to do on me. About six months into that process, Lord." begin to transform, just absolutely transform my life. When you get in these small groups, you have the ability to have questions answered that maybe you struggled with. You have the ability to have a prayer partner that can connect with you. The Bible says this, it says one can put a thousand in flight, so you're strong, right? You can put a thousand in flight. A thousand demons are going to flee when you pray. It says two can put ten thousand. The Bible says that when two or three agree that he is in the midst of those. In Ecclesiastes, it says, pity the man that when he falls that he is alone, but he who has another to hold him up will be blessed. You have another one to keep him warm. It says a threefold cord is not easily broken. I'm telling you, there's power, but when we pursue growth, we've got to realize we've got to connect with other people. Embracing God, connecting with one another, pursuing growth, they're all connected. They're all wrapped up into this scripture. We have a choice to make. There's three things that I want us to, to look at that I believe are essential. Number one, we've got to give God our heart. If you're here today and you've not given God your heart, you have to do that. If you're saved, then maybe renew that commitment to him and pursue the love of God for your life. Understand that he is for you. He is not against you. God is for you, man. Sometimes there's some bad doctrine out there. Man, they want to portray God like he's up with a big fly swatter ready to just swat you like a bug, you know? You stepped out of line and you're gone. You're done. Next. God's looking. No, it's not like that. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's the goodness of God. And when you wrap your mind around that, it is transformative. The second thing I want us to look at is loving your God with your soul is realizing that every choice we make has a voice. Every choice has a voice. Well, who is speaking into your life? What is speaking into your life? Who are you listening to? You want a good idea of what you're going to turn out like? Look at who you're hanging out with. Look at the voices that are speaking into your life. And nine times out of ten, I don't care how strong you are, that's who you're going to turn out being. You get into God's word. The best way to listen to God's voice, oh, you can learn to hear his voice. But the best way to hear his voice is right here. Right here. He gave us 66 books that when we get into this, this is what David said about this. David said in 119 and 11 in Psalms, this is thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. He realized he had the capacity to sin against God. He knew that. But he also knew he hid God's word in his heart. He had a better chance of listening to the voice of God in that heat of the battle and not listening to the voice of the enemy. You've got to realize that God speaks through his word and through his ministers. This is why, like I said, small groups, weekly church services, so important. Daily devotion with God, essential for growth in him. If we'd stand to our feet, the last one 
I want us to make sure we take away today is loving God with our mind. You've got to go through the process of engaging God. You've got to be honest with Him, honest about your struggles. This is the thing I find that's crazy. In my own life, I'm not calling you all crazy, in my own life, we go through these things where we think the way we try to put our thoughts into the process and we label them on God. And sometimes we've got things that maybe we're struggling with and because nobody else around us isn't really aware or in tune with that, we just feel like, well, God doesn't know either, right? So we just kind of live on our life and we got that struggle and we try to do the right thing. And the whole time, all God's wanting is that relationship from you to be able to be honest and vulnerable in prayer and just be honest, man. He can help you. He can grow you. He can, put it this way, He pursued you before you're ever going to pursue Him. His love was commended towards us in that while we were a dead corpse, spiritually speaking, He commended His love toward us. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, I want to challenge the person in this place that has not yet given God their heart. It is simple. Maybe you're carrying things in your life that people have told you are wrong. Maybe you've been thinking they're wrong. And maybe even since you've been in this service, the Holy Spirit has showed you that you need to make a change in your life. We're not going to make it difficult. All we're going to ask you to do is just simply raise your hand. And by raising your hand, we're going to say a corporate prayer across this place. And in that raising of your hand, you're acknowledging that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And you're asking Jesus Christ to come in your heart. If that is you, just simply raise your hand. I want to know who I'm praying with. God bless you. We've got one that wants to praise. Is there anyone else that wants to join in this prayer today? Anyone else that says, I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ. I want the grass to be greener. I want the skies to be bluer. I need a change in my life. I need things to be transformed and changed. If that's you, it begins with the heart. Just simply raise your hand and we'll say a quick prayer with you. And you can be on your way to a, a changed life. God bless you. God bless you. Once you've got it up, you can put it down. We've got two. There's somebody in here you're worth waiting on. God just spoke that to my heart. He's waiting on you. He's bringing conviction into your, into your heart. He loves you. He wants you to know he loves you. He loves you with a full capacity of love. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at things you've heard. Understand today that God loves you. And if that is you and you're in this place and you want to accept him in your heart, just raise your hand. You can get in on this prayer. And in the process, God's going to come into your heart. He's going to transform your life. Amen. We've got two. We're going to say a prayer for them. Let's all just join together in this corporate prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in need of a Savior. And I recognize that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I give Him my heart. I ask Him to watch, wash me clean. Make me new. And I praise Him for it now. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In that moment, let's clap for them that made that decision this morning. For the rest of us, I want to say a prayer over us before we leave today. This word has had me tossing all week. This word, I believe, is for the body of Christ. I believe that we all desire to pursue growth in Him. 
Philippians 1 and 6 says this, Be confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work in you will accomplish it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me explain something to you. Coming to Christ is not a destiny. Until we get with him in heaven, that's our destiny. We're on this road. We're traveling this road. I've heard it said at a men's conference, if you take a thought and you sow it, you reap an action. If you sow an action, you'll reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you'll reap a character. If you sow a character, you'll reap a destiny. That's how one thought can put somebody on a a destined road towards the wrong direction that God ever planned for them. But the flip side of the coin, one thought, like two of them made a conscious decision today, can set them on a path to the destiny God has for them. So we need to grab it. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just pray over your people right now. God, I thank you that you are a transforming God. (laughs) I thank you, God, that when we come to you, you take our heart of stone and you give us a heart of flesh, one that can feel, one that can sense the way you feel, one that can be moved with the compassions of how you feel towards things and towards people. God, I thank you that you've caused us as a body to come alive in you. God, we've embraced you, and in the process, we've connected with one another. And God, now as a corporate body, we are pursuing you. We're pursuing you to the day we're face-to-face with you in heaven. God, when we have not reached a destiny, not one person in this place has reached the place that they are meant to be at. God, we are all pursuing growth in you. And God, I pray right now over every mother, every father. God, I pray over every student, every child in this place. I pray, God, the power of your transformation process in their lives. I pray the power of your word to come inside of them. I pray, God, as they engage you in prayer, as they engage you in in your word, as they engage in these small groups, as they connect with one another, God, I pray that you would inhabit the praises of your people. I pray, God, you would set down in every prayer room. You would set down in every home. God, I pray as they connect with you that you would connect with them. God, we say we're going to embrace you, but God, it started when you embraced us. I pray, God, move on this congregation. Let us fulfill our call in our community. God, I pray the power of the gospel. Let it come alive in Stratford Heights, I pray. In Jesus' name, we worship you with it. Amen. Amen. You know what I feel like we should do? We should, can we just lift our hands and just love on Jesus for just a minute? The Bible says to love the Lord with all of your heart and your, your soul and your mind. We're just going to love him today. Can we just tell him that right now? Lord, we love you and we worship you, God, today. God, we give you our whole heart, Lord Jesus. We give you our every breath. And God, I pray right now, God, our thinking, God, even the the stinking thinking, God, even the things that have been wrapped up in our mind that have caused us to perpetually continue to, to walk down a wrong path. Lord, I pray the power of God, even now, to break those off of us, God. And I pray that new thinking comes, renewed thinking, as we commit ourselves to grow. But God, all of it comes because you loved us. And because of that love for us, God, we now pour our love upon you. God, let every step, God, let every breath be taken to give you glory and to give you honor and to give you praise because you've been so good to us, God. We in turn love you, praise you, and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Anybody love the Lord this morning? Anybody at all?
I'm just excited because I just, I just am excited about the Lord. I said, does anybody love the Lord this morning? Anybody excited about that? I can't help but get excited when I think about where I would have been if he hadn't stepped in and changed my life. And guess what happened this morning? He stepped in and changed lives. And we're committed now. We're committed to pursuing growth. I wasn't a a totally perfected person, and I'm not a perfected person in any way, shape, or form. My wife tells me every single day. She reminds me of that. But I'm pursuing growth, pursuing growth. And that's what we're pursuing today, man, as a church. Awesome. We're so excited about this week. I know many men and women in the church have signed up to help with this light project. And I know Pastor Rich and Marty have, uh, have organized that. We're excited. Thank you for that. I just want to say something too really fast. I know you're getting itchy. I can see you. You're rocking towards the end of the deal. But I just want to thank our kids. Our kids went down in Orlando and participated in an in a international teen town or international junior town. First one ever. 500 participants. We had numerous honorable mentions and recognitions. And I just want to just tell them how awesome a lot of them couldn't even make it back yet today but I, I wanted to make sure our church knew that and we could be so proud of them and their leaders so it's just a beautiful thing if you are visiting with us today down at the welcome center we have a gift for you thank you for coming today God bless you and we just thank God for the word of God over our life go in God's blessings today thank you for being here